have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. This is Rolf, Rolf the Dog, and I'm here with my friend Guy Gilcrest, Jim Henson's cartoonist. Yeah, that's me. And I know you hear me, Flynn Hendricks. People have always asked me, Flynn, how do I become a professional wrestler? How do I become an actor? How do I become a podcaster? How do I get an agent? Well, if you're somebody that's asked these questions, then I've got the solution for you. I'm now offering coaching options that will help you find the answers to these questions and get on the path to success. So if you've been held back by fear, overthinking, or just don't know where to start, email me at theflynnhendricks at gmail.com, use the subject line coaching, and let me get in your corner and help get you on the path to success. And I know you hear me. Are you needing some decals made? Maybe some vinyl or monograms? Then you need to go check out my wife's Etsy shop at Decals by Kins. That's K-Y-N-S. Go over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Decals by Kins and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you. And I'm speaking from experience here. All of my water bottles, my protein bottles, they all have something that she's printed and put on there and those things last. So if you need something like that for a gift, for your family, for your kids, or even for your yourself go check out what she can do for you and as a special treat for my listeners if you use the promo code flynn that's f-l-y-n-n she's even going to get you 10 percent off your order now you can't beat that so go check it out and see what she can do for you and i know you hear me man oh man welcome back everybody to another awesome episode of the i know you hear me podcast with me flynn Hendricks. and as i'm recording this i'm still on that SummerSlam high where You may have to go back a little ways now and check it on the Peacock or check it on social media, check it on YouTube, whatever, but I made my WWE pay-per-view debut here in Nashville at SummerSlam, and I am still riding high from that, so I am excited to keep that momentum going and bring you another awesome episode here, but before we go any further, I gotta ask, um, have you checked out my wife's decal shop on Etsy? Do you need monograms or vinyl? Because she's got you covered. And speaking from experience, and you might hear my little young ones out there, uh, they know it's true too. Her decals and monograms last because they use them. So go check out her information in the show notes. Uh, Use that promo code Flynn for 10% off your order and she'll take care of you. And if you're somebody that's been listening to this show and is thinking about becoming an actor, professional wrestler, or just doesn't know how to get started, Get a session booked with me because I will get you on the right foot. And I might even point you in the direction of today's guest, which that's going to be a big one that we'll come to here in a minute. But on top of that too, guys, have you gotten your merch yet? Because, uh, man, oh man, only the cool kids have that. And if I'm coming to a convention near you, because these conventions are booking up, I'm already going to be at Music City Multicon which that's as we're recording, so as this comes out, that may have already passed. I'm going to be at ICC 2023, so going back to my hometown there. So I want to see you out in full force wearing that Flynn gear. I want to see you at my table. I want to take some selfies. I want to have you on the podcast, and I want to give you that shout-out. And on top of that, too, I also want to benefit the local Nashville Humane Society and maybe even the Peter Mayhew Foundation, depending on where your heart lies with charities. I want to make a donation in your name with portions of the sales that are made here. So not only do you get to rock some cool merch that I have designed myself or designed with my friends, you also get to help keep this show going. You get to keep the fur babies safe. You get to help donate to a children's charity. You name it, it's going to a good cause, and I'm happy to do it. And we also need to talk about social media because we have got to get connected on there, guys. If you want to get connected, if you want to get shout-outs, if you want to tag me in a local convention that's coming up and have me come to a live podcast there, let's get connected. 
I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I've got all the information in my show notes. Let's make that happen. But speaking of things we've got to make happen, guys, I guess since his name came up in season one, you've heard him mentioned by Corey Pettit, Suzanne DeCarma, Jesse Healy, among others. Man, we've all been students of this guy, and he was one of the first voice actors that I ever met along with Mike McFarlane back when they were doing the Dragon Ball Z card game tour back in the day. So this is a special one for me. Um, You may know this guy uh, from the upcoming Dragon Ball Super Superhero movie. Uh, He's the voice of Krillin in that. He's been Krillin since the early 2000s in the Funimation franchise of Dragon Ball. He's also been Bardock, the father of Goku. Those are the two that are closest to me. But in One Piece, you may know him as Usopp. You may also know him as a graphic uh, novel artist, if I can get my words out here. And he actually was involved with the Elf Quest Stargazers Quest 2 that just dropped as we're recording this last week. And Dragon Ball Super Superhero is coming out. I had to get the two supers in there, but... This guy is not only a tremendous voice actor, a director, a graphic novel artist, he is also one hell of a teacher, and it is my pleasure to have on the show Sonny Strait. Sonny, thank you for taking the time here. I really appreciate it. Well, Flynn, thank you so much for having me on here. It's great to be here. Of course, man. I'm so glad that we were able to make it happen because, like I said, you're one of those that's near and dear to my heart and one of those that kind of inadvertently pushed me down the path back when I was in my formative years and had no idea it would blossom to all this and come full circle. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, good for you, man. Yes, and, sir. You know, you, I, I will happily take credit even when it's not due, <laughs> but that's mostly due to yourself and your own diligence. Thank you, sir. And I mean, if it wasn't for you, I have to say after that first workshop that we did, um, bundle of nerves and all, you got me into improv. You made the recommendation, jumped in head first, and man, it has been a game changer ever since. So I can't sing your praises enough, but what I what I really want to know is where all of this love for the arts and performing actually started for you. Where did that start for you back in the day? Like, what what grabs your attention on this? Uh, that uh, that's my parents. Um, when I was four, my dad used to entertain me by just doing impressions of cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he taught me how to do Donald Duck when I was four. And uh, as soon as he realized I could do Donald Duck and I had an ear for voices, he would say, okay, now do Mickey Mouse. And he'd do all these things, right? And when I was six, my mother always drew. Mm-hmm. And she taught me how to draw. I was, I was looking for something to do. And she took this uh, comic book, a uh, comic strip page that had Beetle Bailey. Uh, it's an old comic strip. I don't yes, know sir. Even know oh, yeah. Um, but there was a dog uh, on there. And she said, go to your room and draw a picture of this dog. I said, okay. She said, no, wait, wait. Don't come out until your picture looks exactly like this dog. Wow. So I thought it was kind of a puzzle, right? And I just realized if I locked my eyes on a certain line, I could just follow it that way. Mm -hmm. And when I brought it back to her, she thought I traced it. And she showed me. She said, no, no, I don't want you to trace it. I want you to draw it. I I told her I didn't. Then she placed the drawing on top of it and saw that it didn't line up. And she said, oh, my God, you didn't trace that. So then she encouraged me to draw more. And so my parents are always very encouraging in the arts. Um, I I did a lot of plays that no one will ever see that I wrote in my bedroom in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. Uh, I made movies, home movies all the time. Wow. And I didn't expect to get into uh, cartoon voice acting because I never planned on leaving Texas. Right. I uh, I loved it and I loved the idea of it, but. I decided to take a more practical path and I got involved in theater. And when I did theater through high school and college, uh, I, it, I then found a new love, right? In the mm-hmm. depth of acting itself. And my first real ambition is I wanted to be a theater professor. But while I was in college, I met a guy who was drawing his own comic books. And I thought that was great, you know? So yeah. I drew uh, comic strips for the school newspapers and stuff. So I drew a picture of all of his characters, his fan art, and gave it to him to encourage him because I like encouraging that kind of madness. Mm -hmm. And he said, why don't you just draw the book? So I never drew a comic book before, but I thought that'd be fun. Yeah. So he wrote it and I drew it. And we, before I finished uh, my second semester at uh, University of North Texas, which is North Texas State University then, um, we got our first short story published. And when that happened, I said, okay, screw school. I dropped out of school and focused on comics for 10 years. But I started getting that acting bug again. Mm -hmm. And I started doing theater in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and Funimation, Texas. 
And I'm like, oh my God, this is like cartoons in Texas. Yeah. And I did not expect to get a part, but I auditioned for Krillin and I got Krillin. And when I landed that, I was just like, oh, this is cool. I'm doing cartoons. But I didn't take it seriously. You know, I just thought, uh, it's a, it's a part-time job because right. Krillin dies all the time. You know? <laughs> As they say, and yeah. Cartoon Network really liked what I did with Krillin and asked me to audition for Toonami Tom. Oh, yeah. And I got Toonami Tom. And when I got that, I realized I kind of stumbled onto a career. Man, that's but that's how I got amazing. my start. So uh, let's let's talk about that for a second because um, you know when you booked Krillin, that was when Funimation had taken over from the the Ocean dub. Had you like um, what was it like for you trying to get as close to the previous actor's voice as possible to you know bring Krillin to life for the Funimation dub? What was that process like for you? Well, when we auditioned we were given a, a folder full of uh, scripts for each of the characters. Mm-hmm. And we were allowed to go into a booth by ourselves with a uh, VHS player. And we were able to uh, rewind to certain time codes and we could listen to the uh, Canadian version. Right. And in my folder, Krillin wasn't even in there. Wow. But I saw him on the screen briefly and I went, okay, that must be already cast. So I just ignored it. But when I auditioned, they asked me if I could do Krillin. And I went, ah, I didn't even see that one because it wasn't in my folder. And they said, oh, well, it's just kind of a scratchy, high-pitched voice, kind of goofy. So I just did whatever. I can't remember what I did. And then about a week later, I get a call from Chris Sabat. And he said that uh, we liked your acting better for Krillin. But somebody else was sounded more like the uh, Canadian version. So I said, well, look, I, I, I mentioned at the audition, I didn't even look at it because it wasn't in my folder, so I assumed it had already been cast. Right. And he said, well, let's, okay, we'll tell you what we'll do. We'll audition you guys again, just the two of you, for Krillin, and we'll let you do the whole thing, listen to it again and everything. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, it's just right in here. It's real easy. Hey, you wait up, you guys. Ah! So <laughs> I did that at the audition. I got cast. And then after I got cast, before I actually recorded it, I had a chance to read the manga. Oh, wow. And when you read manga, you get a voice in your head for the characters anyway. Mm-hmm. And what I heard in my head for Gurlin was more like Popeye on Helium. I and love that. The first day I was recording, the very first day, uh, the director, Barry Watson, a uh, good old boy from Texas, <laughs> uh, not politically correct at all, but he said, uh, you know... That sounds just like uh, Terry Clausen's Krillin, but I can't stand that voice. I was like, oh, shit, he's going to recast me. And I, I said, oh, dude, no. I can do lots of voices. He goes, yeah, I know. I remember from your audition. He said, but uh, see, the thing is, Krillin's a midget, but he, I told you he's not politically correct, <laughs> but he's the world's strongest human being. And I said, oh, you want like a tough midget? And he goes, yeah. Well, in my head, I had this Popeye on helium sound, right? Mm-hmm. I said, well, what about like uh, Popeye on helium? He goes, what would that sound like? I, said, I don't know, something like this? Come on, guys, let's go! Anyway, yeah, you yeah, use that. That's good. <laughs> That's amazing. And so I was like the first one who could just make this character exactly the way I wanted to do it. Right. Oh, that's Which awesome. is probably, I think, where we should have all started. Mm-hmm. Because eventually, by the second season, we were all doing it the way we wanted to instead of yeah. the way the Canadian cast did it. Absolutely. I always think it's kind of silly to try to sound like another actor anyway. Very, very understandable, because then it can limit the authenticity that you bring to that character. Exactly. Like, I always tell my students that you put yourself into these bodies as mm-hmm. if, you know, they're avatars and they're meat suits that you're putting on. But if you do that and you're trying to sound like someone else, it's very disingenuous. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then on top of that, too, especially like bringing, you know, the acting chops to it. And, you know, you said they loved your audition and the acting you brought to it. What was that like for you, um, you know, trying to match the mouth flaps and do the ADR process at that time? How was that for you? I thought it was going to be more difficult than it was, but it's pretty simple. And, uh, I mean, you were a student of mine. We, yes, sir. We, I don't spend the whole weekend learning how to match mouth flaps. Right. Because I know within the second character you guys will get it. And that's almost always like clockwork. Like, they do one character on the first round. Mm-hmm. By the second round, everyone's got it. You know? Absolutely. It's pretty easy. I, I think it's much more important to focus on the acting instead of matching mouth flaps. Very, very true. 
And then, you know, like, as you got Krillin and you started developing that character and you got Toonami Tom, how did it start blossoming and, like, you know, the snowball just keeps rolling down the hill from there? What came next after that? Okay, what came after that? Um, we didn't have many properties then. Um, and once I'd kind of run the, the, the thing with uh, Toonami Tom, they had to replace me because... Uh, back then, the internet was not as cool as it is now. Right, right. You couldn't record, you know, over several ways that we do now online. Yep, as we are now. They had one studio in Dallas that could do what was called a digital patch mm -hmm. so that I could record in their studio. And it went great for a while, but then the guy who ran the studio left his, to his assistant to set up, and it took an hour to set this up, by the way. Oh, wow. So he... The, the owner of the studio would get there an hour before us, before I would get online and the, and the director in Atlanta and Cartoon Network would get on the line, right? Mm -hmm. And so we'd be all ready to go when I walked in. Well, when he left it to his assistant, his assistant did not get there an hour before us. He oh, just waited boy. until we got there. So we'd be mm. sitting there for an hour waiting. And meanwhile, I'm getting paid $400 an hour to do nothing, yeah. right? But oh, yeah. wait. And then we had to record the next hour or so. And eventually the director said, we can't keep doing this. So they had to replace me. And um, I'm fine with the replacement. He's done such a great, Steve Bloom has done such a great Absolutely. job over the years. Um, but I I decided, I was I had still doing Dragon Ball Z, but I had also went to Comic-Con and I met Wendy Peeney, uh, the creator mm -hmm. of ElfQuest. Yeah. And she was a fan of Dragon Ball Z. So she started drawing pictures of our characters and giving it to us. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, I'm going to surprise her because she doesn't know I'm a cartoonist. And I drew her main character with our characters. And she and her husband, Richard, were so kind to let us sign in their booth area because there was not enough space in the Funimation area to sign. Yeah. So I left voice balloons for each of our characters so we could thank them personally for allowing That's us to awesome. sign there. It was just, you know, to say thank you. Yeah. And Wendy looked at it and she goes, I didn't know you could draw. And I went, oh, yeah, I've been published a few times. And she goes, do you want to draw for me? And the floor sort of vanished, and I went off to another universe right. for a thousand years, and I came back Sunny the White, and I was like, <laughs> is that a trick question? Of course I want to draw for you. So That's she's amazing. okay. We'll, we'll work out it, work out the particulars, you know, and they, they set a page rate for me and everything. And when I got home, I thought, you know, I always, I kind of felt like my art had hit a ceiling at that point, and I'd always wanted to study under a master cartoonist. Yeah. So I said, hey, I, I want to do this. I'm very proud, happy to do this, and honored to do this, but I want to change the terms. And she said, what, you want more money? And I went, no, no. I want to be your apprentice. I want to study under you. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And she goes, you know what that means? I said, what? It means we're committed to each other for the rest of our lives. I said, that's fine with me. And she said, Deal. okay, move out to California and you'll work in my studio. And I said, I can't do that. I'm, I'm on Dragon Ball Z. I got to record in Texas. She goes, just fly back once a month. And I went, that's a good idea. So I told Funimation my plan. I was going to LA and I was going to work there and I'd fly back once a month to record all the Krillin lines. They did not believe I was going to come back because really? no one had done that at that time. I was the only person to ever even bring this up. Wow. So they were ready to replace me, but I came back like clockwork once a month. They had my lines ready for me, and I'd fly back. And then I went on tour. Um, the company Score Entertainment made the Dragon Ball Z card game, yes. which you had mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And they drove this Dragon Ball Z Hummer. You remember? Oh, yeah. All oh, over the yeah. country. It was the first, the first Hummer, the H1, was very impressive, and no one had ever seen anything like it on the road, right? And they had it all decorated with Dragon Ball Z decals and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, people always ask, do you guys drive that Hummer? And I said, no, we have a driver that does that. But then I thought about it. I thought that would be really cool yeah. to drive a Hummer across the country. And I've always wanted to take a road trip across the country. So I, so I approached the president and I said, listen, um, wouldn't it be cool if one of us drove that around? They said, who'd be crazy enough to do that? I said, I would. And they set up the Krillin Battle to the Max Tour. Oh, and I drove wow. around the country playing the card game. And if you could beat me, you got a prize, which was real easy to do at first <laughs> because I sucked. 
Right. But by right. the time the tour is over, I was unbeatable. I was oh, so good at that game. Um, and I'd have to cheat on myself to, so people could win. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> That's amazing. That's too soon. And that then, is amazing. Funimation, in the meantime, started getting a couple of new shows. They got Blue Gender. Mm-hmm. And that might have been the only one at that time. And I was not in Blue Gender because I was in California. Right. But Chris Sabat called me and he said, hey, um, what are you planning to do after your Hummer tour? Are you going back to California or are you going to come back to Texas? And I said, I don't know. I'm just kind of playing it by ear. And he said, what? If you come back to Texas, I've got a role for you. And it was Lupin the Third. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he sent me some stuff and I looked at it and went, oh, that's cool. I, I want to play that. So I moved back to Texas. We had a series of like, like nine movies, I think. Mm-hmm. But after the first one, he said, you seem to have this character down pretty good. Have you ever directed? And I said, I've directed plays. I've never directed, you know, anime. Yeah. And he goes, it's the same thing. And uh, it's actually easier because <laughs> there's no blocking. And he said, well, why don't you try directing the second one and we'll see how it goes. And then from then on, I was just, you know, one of the main directors of Funimation for years. Man, that is awesome. So what was it uh, What was it like juggling, you know, both roles and wearing both hats at that point of being a director and an actor? How did you balance that? Very carefully. And I was uh, very uh, sub- self-conscious about it. Mm-hmm. So what I did, luckily with the movies, I was just sort of put on an island somewhere and had a very vague uh, timeline of when it needed to be done because it was right. going straight to DVD. <clears throat> So what I would do, since Lupin had most of the lines, I would record all of his lines first. And then I would have the actors play off of me. And then I would go back and re-record my lines on top of their lines so that I could make sure that the vocal chemistry was really good. Yeah, And I was my my own harshest critic. Understandable. Understandable. And how did you – because I'm guilty of that myself, and this is something that I like to pick other people's brains about – when you are your own, you know, harshest critic, how do you get past that sometimes and realize that what you've got is the best thing for that best take for that submission? Like, how do you get over that? I'm, I'm really good at being objective about my own work and probably because I was a cartoonist for so long. Right. And you've got to be very, you're your worst critic. But at the same time, I'm not, uh, I don't go, I'm not, don't, I don't look down upon my art. I don't go, that's bad or whatever. I just go, that works or it doesn't. Yeah. And so I'm pretty pragmatic about that. But you kind of have to be because mm-hmm. if you get too precious with it, uh, you you won't make your deadlines. Absolutely. But like when I was doing um, Rage of the Bahamut, I directed that years later. Mm-hmm. But the main character was a very Lupin the Third type guy, right? Yeah. And. Um, I had an open audition for it, and I heard hundreds of people, and no one could get it. And I was like, I don't want to play this character, right? But I'm going to have to because right. I, there's no one else that can do this, and I know what I can do well. And I went to Justin Cook about it, this one of the head uh, producers, mm-hmm. and I said, uh, I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to cast myself. I just don't hear anybody that does this. And he goes, well, what about Ian Sinclair? And I went, well, I don't, I'm not really familiar with his work. And he said, have you well heard of on Space Dandy at least? And I went, no, I don't even know what that is. So he pulled up Space Dandy on YouTube. I heard two lines, and I went, okay, please ask him if he's available. And if yeah. he's not, just tell him he has to be. And, and uh, <laughs> he was perfect for the role. As a matter of fact, he was better for that role than I was because it it's really amazing. wasn't Lupin the Third. It was another kind of character with a different kind of nuance. Right, right. And he brought that to the table. And uh, it was one of my most favorite things to direct, uh, especially with him involved. Oh, and he man, was involved in a awesome. lot of my shows. That is awesome. So as as Funimation starts bringing more titles in, and you're you're still doing the apprenticeship out in uh, in California, how do you begin to balance all of that together? Where you've got a busy like a full plate on both sides, how do you juggle all that? Well, while I was there, I even uh, was in another anime there that I played four different characters on called uh, "I'm Going to Be an Angel." Wow. And the cool thing about that, it was actually directed by the uh, Japanese director. Wow. And she would come over and uh, and record us. Mm-hmm. She didn't speak a lot of English, though, so she had a translator there. Uh, I do remember when she said, I had to play this character as Michael the Angel, who's very enigmatic, you know, and he mm-hmm. spoke in a very certain lilting way. And the way she described it, she said, he's like, this is a tree. This 
is not a tree, but together. And I went, I got it. I totally know what you mean. <laughs> I had no idea. But I, I just sort of ran right. with it. But it was really cool. Um, and so, I don't know. It, it does take a lot of time to draw comics. And it, it, I was pretty busy. But I didn't mind being busy. I was a lot younger then. I could handle it. Absolutely. Uh, so... And that's the time when you really need to work your butt off anyway. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're, especially when you're in your late 20s and 30s, you need to be busting your butt to establish yourself. Mm-hmm. So juggling this show here and another show in Texas and drawing a comic book series, that's just par for the course. Absolutely. And then one, one thing I've realized, too, because we have a lot of uh, you know mutual friends that have worked at Funimation, uh, you, you come to find out that a lot of these people have been on so many projects together, but... They don't end up meeting until years later, or they happen to be booked at the same convention. What was that like for you? How many of your fellow castmates, because I know you have a great friendship with Chris Sabat, with Sean Schimmel, how many of these guys did you meet right out of the bat, and how many like did it take years to meet? And when you did finally meet, was it like you'd known each other the whole time, or was there still like just the getting-to-know-each-other phase? No, it was pretty amazing, to you know, because a lot of them I didn't meet until I went to conventions. But um, about... I would say three years in is when I started directing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when I started directing, I met all the actors because they'd all come in for auditions and everything. And you got to know who the really talented ones were and the ones who were easy to work with. Right. Um, and even, uh, you get to see people develop in front of you because, uh, usually you start off doing Wallace sessions, you know, mm-hmm. or bit part test sessions. Yep. And then, and back then we had a group of about five to 10 that we always used, you know, to come in. And I would watch the ones that would grow and those I would start casting in bigger, bigger yeah. roles. And so it was kind of cool to see them grow in front of you. Absolutely. But like uh, once you start direct, that's the only real way to meet all these actors. You like a lot of these people I meet at conventions. I know I've been in the same show, but I've never seen them in Funimation. Yeah. You know? I get it's it. It's kind of a weird industry because, it, you know, it is just your voice. So you don't have to meet these people. Yeah. And that was a that was a big misconception that I had coming in because my assumption was you know like you see something like a Clone Wars where they have all the actors in the same room I kind of figured that was how like Funimation was at first but then when I started getting to know you guys and hearing the stories it's like oh oh no it you know it's the one room or the one booth or whatever it may be and then you know you don't meet somebody till ten years later to convention but you've been on all these projects with them but it, it's it's still amazing to see like what comes out of that and the friendships that come out of that too despite the differing circumstances from what you would expect is very very unique yeah because it's not a uh, prelay absolutely uh, when it's prelay you know you can get a group of people in there mm-hmm. or, but a lot of times even with prelay they want you know just a couple of people in at a time yeah because you don't want to mess up the take with a bunch of breathing and clearing of throats and things like that absolutely but uh but with dubbing you know it's just one at a time absolutely and that's why it's really important to a dubbing director to listen to the vocal chemistry that, that your actors are giving and mm-hmm. to make sure they're playing off the actor who came before them and stuff like that. So it sounds like they're in the same room talking to each other. Absolutely. Man, it's such deep insight that you're dropping right there. That is amazing. But um, a little insight you actually dropped on uh, dropped on some of your students here in the classes that we'll come to here in just a moment was um, your love for the character Usopp that you, that you bring to life over here for the uh, English dub. Where, um, how did you end up booking that role and what makes him so special to you? Well, one of the things that makes it special is it was actually cast by Oda. Wow. That's the only time that's ever happened in my career that the creator of the series cast me in the series. Wow. Uh, it's the one part I say, if you I don't honor. like the way I do it, I don't care. Yeah. Because the creator of the series says that's what he hears in his head. Absolutely. Matter of fact, Oda once said that in his mind, these characters speak English. Wow. So in a way, we're the real cast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't you can't argue that logic. You can't. Yeah, but um, Usopp to me was just a fun character. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the same depth as Krillin at yeah. first. So Krillin was still much more dear to me and closer to my heart. Right. But as the series progressed, Usopp became much more uh, profound. And there was a scene in the Water Seven saga where he um, he gets mugged. And beat up, mm-hmm. and they steal all the the money from that that they had on, that the crew had because it was on him, and he was crying and he was humiliated. And while I was recording that, I was crying with the character. I mean, real tears. And I was like, 
Well, that's never happened to, in my whole yeah. career. So I suddenly just fell in love with this character and found the depth of him. And, and even though he has the funniest, goofiest voice, I still try to give him uh, emotion, you know? Absolutely. Man, that's amazing. And it's to hear that connection, too, because you would – my assumption always was, like, Krillin was the number one but just because that's who I grew up on you with. And, you know, you see the range that that guy goes. Like you said, dies multiple times but still comes back. But just – He gets the, his heart broken. He gets a girlfriend. He gets married. Yep. Yeah, has a family. a lot of things. He does. So he said to me online on uh, – I think it was Facebook. But they said, does it bother you that Bardock – who's such a badass has so few lines whereas krillin such a goofball he gets all the lines i said no it doesn't bother me at all because it's much more fun to be krillin than it is to be bardock yeah bardock is always on the same level you know he's always intense you know Mm -hmm. which is cool and he's a badass uh he's either screaming or he's just really intense whereas krillin um runs the gambit you know i mean it is so much more fun to get your butt kicked you know, make it all these, mm-hmm. and then, ah! you know, he's, he gets bad. Krillin can be a badass, and he can get his butt kicked in the same scene. Yep. And he can um, be comedic on top of it. Yeah, but Krillin is no longer my favorite, and neither is Usopp. My oh. favorite is Koro Sensei oh. from Assassination Classroom. Okay. And that part, I just related to him so much, and it was so weird because I was cast the same week I started teaching voice acting. Oh, wow. Okay. So I became a teacher uh, at work as a character at the same time I started teaching in real life. And it was really cool because some of the things I would say in class, Koro Sensei would say, and I'd be like, I guess there's just certain ways to teach. You got to say these things. Yeah. There's a process to learning, and uh, every teacher goes through it. But it was just... It just made this experience even more magical. Of course. Man, that is that is a brilliant... Like, if that's not a perfect, like, the universe speaking and then also making a brilliant segue right here into the teaching, like, I don't know what is because I, I want to know where the teaching actually, like, where you got the idea to start doing that because you actually had an, an in-person studio at one point for that and then, you know, COVID happened. So walk me right. through all of that. Like, what was it like starting these classes and then eventually the pandemic hits and you do it virtually. How did what was all that like for you? Well, I want I, like I mentioned earlier, my first ambition was to be a theater professor. Mm-hmm. And then I dropped out and started drawing comics. But I still liked the idea because I, I used to go to these theater camps in high school that were at East Texas State University, which is no longer a, a university. Right. But it was in Commerce, Texas. It was a two week intensive course. We lived in the dorms. From 11 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, we had classes half the day, and the other half of the day we were practicing a play. The first day we auditioned for five different plays, for five different directors, and then by the end of the day we're cast, we're given scripts, and told to memorize our lines before the next day. Wow. So it was intense. Yeah, I would say so. Especially if you got lead roles, which I did. So I had to, like, memorize the lead role for a play, a one-act play, by the morning um so you it really keeps you on your toes and also you just get this incredible learning experience because all of these professors are working with you and teaching you uh meditation techniques and breathing techniques and um uh, approach to acting and it was just such an incredible intense experience that i wanted to do that i wanted to go to east texas state university and be a professor there mm-hmm. and and then life kind of gave me another twist, and I started falling in love with comics. Um, but that love and that desire to, to teach was always there. And about 30 years ago, I did get a chance to teach at, at the University of North Texas. Oh, wow. They had these uh, continuing education programs. Mm-hmm. And I taught uh, comics. And I did that for about two years. I taught people how to draw comic books. And then... I would say about five years later, I taught uh, kids from uh, kindergarten to 12th grade mm-hmm. uh, acting classes at the local community theater. Wow. So that's when I really started figuring out how to make people connect yeah. their emotions to the characters. Because um, if I could teach a kid how to do that, I could definitely teach an adult how to do that. Very true. Very but I did true. that for about three years, and then I got really busy. 
drawing comics and mm-hmm. acting and stuff. And so for years I didn't do it, but I really wanted to, to start teaching again. So six years ago, I decided, let me see if I can do it. And I rented out um, a dance hall and uh, my buddy Neil, who's one of the head engineers to Funimation, he would record people and we would do it once a week for six weeks. Wow. And it was, it went pretty well, but I thought, you know, this would be better if I had my own studio. Yeah. So I found a space that I could afford and I love this space because the space is, uh, it's very Frank Lloyd wrong. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's very deco design and I always loved that building in Denton and it was available and I thought, let me see if I can afford it and I could. Yeah. And I started teaching there. I love that space because it was like I had a stage in there. Mm. I would go in there when no one was in there and do monologues, you know, just practicing and getting my chops up and stuff. And I would have my students get on the stage and I had a full recording booth in in there that was built by the guy who built the Funimation booth. So it was just high quality. Absolutely. I had a a drawing area in there. Um, I had animators in the front room and we'd work on little animation projects and stuff. I was just creatively, it was amazing. But then, yeah, as you mentioned, COVID happened and we couldn't meet in person anymore. Right. And the landlord was, God bless him. He was like, um, well, you don't have to pay me till you know, this blows over. And after about two months, I started feeling really guilty, you know, just getting the space for free. So I just closed it down. And also I was like, you know, I gotta make a living and right. nobody's doing anything. You know, Funimation wasn't doing anything. Dark Horse. I was I was contracted at Dark Horse then drawing mm-hmm. the first graphic novel I think of uh, Stargazer Hunt. So nobody was working. I'm like, what am I going to do? We got to pay the bills. And I thought, huh. My grandson was taking was going to school, but he was doing on Zoom classes. Yeah. Thought, Maybe I could teach on Zoom. Let me try that out. And so I offered it, and I sold out like two classes right away. Mm-hmm. And. I found that the students tend to learn better really? on Zoom okay. than they do in person. Now, it's more fun to be in person. Of course. But the thing is, I've noticed that the kids, kids, your kid, uh, <laughs> take chances more when they're in their own home. They're able to open up more emotionally, whereas they'd be more closed off and self-conscious yeah. in person. And they were less intimidated. And I would find that they learn faster. And now I'm like, I want to have my own studio, but I'm like, I think it's better to teach online. Yeah. You're getting people into the business who would have never, ever gotten into the business before. People that were too shy to do this kind of thing in person, now doing it and opening up and becoming less shy for it. Absolutely. And uh, finding, we're, we're getting people who are working in the business who I know in the old days would have never done it. Yeah. You know? So it's just amazing. And I, I, I guess I'm stuck doing it online, you know? Absolutely. I, I mean, might, it's... I might get a studio anyway, just cause I like doing that in person. Right. Right. But offer the online class as well as an in-person. Yeah. Class, get the best of both you know? worlds at that point. Yeah. Because I just don't want to deny people because there's, there's so much talent out there mm-hmm. that we don't ever get to see yeah. because people are afraid to present it. Absolutely. And that's, uh, I know it's what I call like the silver lining of the pandemic because all these opportunities became available that normally wouldn't be available in Nashville because it's not considered a major hub for voiceover. So, I mean, I've made tons of friends. I've had tremendous learning experiences. And, you know, it's literally the best part that came out of the pandemic is getting these opportunities that may not have been there otherwise. So, I mean, it's a, it's a very unique thing. There's not much voice acting in uh, Nashville? No, they just actually opened a um, a voiceover studio about 45 minutes down the interstate from me in Murfreesboro where I went to college. But cool. it's really more of, uh, you know, like music, music city, country music, or bro country, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, thankfully... <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking because you got all these people with trained voices. Yeah. Um, you would think that they would try to, you know, do commercial work at least. Absolutely. I mean, oddly enough, uh, my neighbor up the street that helped me kind of get into this world uh does voiceover he does a lot of narration and commercial work not a lot of animation but he's really about the only other person i know in nashville i'm sure there's plenty more but the only person that i know personally that still does it you know it's 
So it's a very like just chance thing that he moves in, and I, I learned that about him. But yeah, I mean, it's you'd think with the the music equipment, Isn't the it studios, weird you put yourself out there, and opportunity just provides. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a wonderful thing the internet does because, like you said, it wasn't as cool back in the day, but now we've got all these opportunities and Source Connect, ISDN, whatever you want to say, Zoom as we're using now. I mean, it's the the world is wide open to it. Yeah. And yeah, it, it certainly has open doors. Absolutely. Um, closed some as well, but yeah. uh, I think it's opened more doors than it's closed. I would agree with that. Um, but one, one thing that's always, like, struck me, especially, like, being a student and having an instructor virtually, when you don't have that face-to-face, like, in-person interaction, do you sometimes find it hard to make the connection behind a computer screen, or do you feel that the energy with the students is always there? I was really worried that I wouldn't be able to, but I, I've been I'm pretty confident that I've been able to in every class. I would agree uh, with that. Yeah, I, I listen to them, and when I hear them, sometimes I just get them to tell a story yeah. right, about their past. And when I hear the emotion come in their voice, then I say, okay, hold it. Hold that emotion. Now go back to your monologue and speak from there. Oh, and yeah. generally, uh, it opens up. It doesn't, and that's the same technique I did in person. Although in person, it was a little harder, I think, because, again, they were intimidated. I'm standing right in front of them, breathing yeah. on them, you know. They can smell my breath. They can smell what I have for dinner. But online, they're just listening, and they, they feel the emotion, and they start speaking. And then that's when the magic happens. When The first time that it happened to me, I was teaching um, kids, and it was um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I think. I don't remember what the, it might have been just called Willy Wonka or something. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, one of the Oompa Loompas had uh, a long speech. And this little girl, elementary school girl, and she kept reading it, reading it. It just sounded like she was reading a story, right? And I tried to relate to her something from her, had her relate something from her past that had something to do with this character. She was talking, talking, talking. And I said, okay, read it from there, right? Go to the beginning and read it. And then she did. And then I saw her eyes just get real wide, right? going keep going she's like and then she went into it and then every time she read it she just got stronger and stronger and stronger amazing and by the time of the performance i i my my friend uh, michelle irving was uh, also one of the teachers there mm-hmm. and we were up in the sound booth watching the play of the performance and she got up to speak and i started crying and she's like what's wrong and i went no, it's nothing nothing it's fine and i was just i was just so happy to see this kid just completely change you know and became yeah more she became more dynamic and like when the kids were hanging out she used to be very shy but she just sort of held court wherever she went oh, i was that's like awesome yes, yes that's that's it and so i i remembered that and that's what i try to do with all of my students i try to get them to that point where they can connect that emotional mm-hmm. uh, understanding of the characters you know it's a real emotional connection oh and yeah. that's not the only way to do acting that's just my way to do acting. Um, a lot of people, it's just technique, yeah. you know, and they and they do fine. Uh, but to me, that's just not as fun as actually riding the emotional current of that character. Absolutely. And that can be a very cathartic experience. And I'm speaking from experience here because I know in the second workshop we did, um, you know, we talked about confronting fears and different things like that. And it was, it was interesting to see different people's, uh, you know, different fears and seeing those play out. But I know, like, for experience, mine was a very, very cathartic experience, and it felt rewarding at the end, but it also gave me that emotional release and gave me that confidence at the same time. So it's it's a very, very powerful thing. Yeah, the advanced class is not for the timid. No. Because the exercise where you have to face your deepest fear. Oh, boy. Yeah, and you, I, I put people in groups, and what they do is they, they create a scene that would be the worst nightmare for a person with a certain fear. And you have to just say, this is my worst fear. Let's create a scene. Now, again, I always give everyone the right to veto. Mm-hmm. Like if it gets too far, because I don't want people getting emotionally damaged yeah. by facing it. But generally that's not what happens. I don't, I've never seen anybody become damaged from it. What I have seen though, is people get stronger. Yep. And as an actor, you don't know what kind of character you're going to play. And if that character has faced this fear and you have not, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be that character. Absolutely. You can pretend to be him, but if, you, if you've if you really faced that fear in yourself, 
you will have an emotional connection to that character. Very, very true. And that's actually something, again, going back to the first class where you'd recommended, you know, looking into improv helped me, you know, commit to those choices and make the fast choice and commit to it right out of the gate. Like, and had I not done that, don't know if it would have turned out the same. You know, there may be a lot of emotion to it, but again, it's it's all part of that acting experience and bringing those real-life emotions into it to confront those things that, you know, like yourself and the character have to confront. It's a, man, I, I can't sing it's, it's all about enough. It's all about trust and emotional courage yes. when you do an improv. You've got to just hope. You can't you can't even be overthinking it. You just yeah. have to go with it. Be in the moment and go. It, it sounds terrible and it sounds like you rehearsed it or whatever. Yep. But if you're if you can allow yourself to be brave and just let it come out, whatever it is, it's probably going to be amazing. Very true. Very true. And again, that's one of those things that you'll only learn uh, by sitting under a master's learning tree. So if you're already connected with me on Facebook, you've seen me sharing these classes, and I highly recommend. If you're, you know, if you're looking to take it to the next level, go ahead and sign up for one of Sonny's classes and do it fast. And we'll have links in the show notes for when this airs too, because I'm sure there's going to be another one coming up then. But this guy uh, is my next one is in September, so I don't yes. know when this comes out. Uh, it's going to be a little bit after that, but I'll keep in touch with you. And if I see that okay. it's coming up, for sure, going to be linked in here. So, all right, I'll have people coming your way for sure. But yeah, I mean, Excellent. I I can't sing those classes praises enough because not only did I grow as an actor. I made new friends, and it was just like the the best I could ask for in that experience. So if I can get anybody else to get that experience, then it's it's a good day in my book. Yeah, I told my wife when I started teaching voice act, uh, acting classes that I wanted to be a theater professor. Mm-hmm. This is so much better. Oh, yeah. You know, because I completely call my shots. I don't have to stick to someone else's curriculum. I, I And... Um, and I get to see it in real time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I I don't think I would have been happy as a theater professor, but I am very happy teaching uh, young actors how to find their voice. Absolutely. And then, of course, I, I see the, you know, the events that you share on Facebook where one of your former students does get cast. And, that I mean, that's got to be that proud papa moment for sure because, I mean, like, you, you can't beat that. Yeah, it's annoying now. It happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Must get on I, that list. Uh, Engineer Lawrence told me that. Uh, oh yeah, it's like I think forty to fifty percent. You know, a lot of my classes are getting work. Yeah, and I'm just like, really that much? And he goes, yeah. And he's, he's he keeps track better than I do, and he's always sending me emails. Oh, guess who got cast in this? I'm like, yep. wow. And I know uh, part of that is not just you know the excellent training I provided. Right, right, uh, right. Part of it is there's just so much work out there for voice yeah. actors. Uh, Crunchyroll, you know, gets like 20 new shows about every three months, mm-hmm. um, sometimes more. So we don't want to use the same people over and over again. Yeah. So we need people who are trained to do this. Absolutely. And I mean, that's again, that's one of those things that is bad as it may be. The pandemic did open the world up to a lot more opportunities and a lot more actors to have those opportunities, too. Yeah, man. So it's crazy, crazy, crazy. But I man, I feel like it's about to get crazy again because for almost forty-five minutes now, you know, I've been lucky enough to throw some questions your way. So I'm gonna give you a break now, and I'm gonna let you throw some questions my way and host the show if you want. So, oh, okay. I am uh, I am at your mercy. I have no idea what you're gonna throw my way, but the floor is yours, my friend. All right, because this is something that's been on my mind a lot lately. Flynn, and, okay. Um, uh, I want to know your feelings about AI art oh where it's going and do you see it as a threatening thing for actors and uh, artists man i i constantly see these things that you know like they want to do the like they want to have the the actor audition and you know it becomes an ai type of thing i see it coming through i see it in the voice actor groups putting the warnings out for it and while it may be something that continues to pop up I don't think it's going to replace the actor, uh, you know, the real human emotion that goes into acting as well. Same with art, because there's a there's a story behind that. There's a story behind the character that comes out. And while an animatronic or an AI may be, you know, able to mimic the voice, they're not going to be able to mimic that emotion that we can relate to if we've been in a similar situation. So while it may be perceived as a threat, I think it may end up, you know, getting phased out at some point, same as, you know, 
HD DVD or Betamax or whatever it may be, you know, I think it may be something that pops up and then goes away simply because you can't replace the real human emotion that needs to be in that art. Yeah, because the emotion comes from experience. Absolutely. Know? And it's hard for an artificial intelligence to have experience yep. other than just data that's received. Absolutely. And data received is not a real experience. Now, it can fake experience. And right. Any experience, I think that, like, I've seen some amazing things with um, uh, AI drawing programs mm -hmm. and stuff, right? But the state, it's still just using fragments of things that are already out there. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, I saw recently, and I, I was just like, that's amazing. And I almost wanted to, as a teacher in me, I'm like, good job, AI. That's good, you know? <laughs> right. Um, somebody had placed, uh, I think it said, um, patience. Um, what were the words? It was very poetic. It was just a poem. Patience, waiting, noir, is life real? Question mark. That's all they wrote. And the prompt created this beautiful black and white noir image of these people and it's just, you just see them from behind looking away from the camera and they're in silhouette and there was uh, mist on the ground in this dark city and I thought yeah that evokes those emotions that's really good Yeah. and so then I started thinking well this is kind of threatening you know because yeah, as yeah. an artist if, they, if, they, if they, this computer has emotions and can relate poetically then you know it's, it's a big threat Right. And then I went, wait a minute, let me look up. And I looked up patience and waiting and on Google images. Mm -hmm. And I saw the images it pulled from to make those things. And it's people standing from behind. Yeah. And it's a very common thing. As a matter of fact, it's kind of cliche. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's why I had people standing behind because it looked, it just looked up the Google images. Yeah. Found out that a big majority of them are just people standing from behind. And then it went into noir, which is very silhouettes, black and whites, and stuff like that. And then the, is life is is life real? That's just what I read into it. Right. Man, so that's deep though. But the problem is, it's not artists that generally hire artists. Right. It's producers. It's directors. Mm -hmm. uh, now directors tend to be artists themselves. Right. Producers not always. You know, at, at uh, we're lucky enough at Funimation or Crunchyroll, sorry, to have. <laughs> Uh, producers who are actually started from, you know, engineers, yeah. actors, directors, and things like that. But that's not always the case. And a lot of times, like, um, they're just going to hire whoever, you know, that produces a decent art. They're not looking for something to, to wow the nation with. They're just looking right. for something to put on the cover of their magazine or whatever. So I think you might find a lot of lazy people just going, hey, we're saving a few bucks by not yeah. hiring an artist, you know. But I, the thing that AI can't do is live. That's you true. Know, like you're, and it's going to be harder to replace actors. I think that'll come back later. Yeah. But if you can draw by hand, you know, even if a computer can eventually draw by hand, it's still going to be more valuable right. to have the, a, an actual human hand created thing. Very true. And that's something that's, that we did not perceive with, with even just Photoshop. Yeah. Because yeah. Photoshop, most people draw comics on Photoshop now, right? But the mm -hmm. people who drew by hand back in the past, those pages that used to be worth a couple hundred bucks are now worth fifteen, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, because they were drawn by hand. Yep. It actually made them more valuable. Yeah. So it's, it's inspired me to go more analog, you know, to draw more by hand and stuff. I dig it. I dig it. I mean, right, let me ask you this. What made you interested in getting into acting? Um, I, as an airplane goes over my head, I apologize about that. Um, actually kind of flying a little low there. That's kind of scary. Speaking of, uh, AI moving in, but, um, what it was, it all started out just, um, hearing these voices when I was a kid on these cartoons or these TV shows and mimicking them, uh, just to entertain my family or entertain my friends, so uh, my mom and my godparents actually, you know, pushed me into getting into drama in middle school. So I started doing that, and I was with it, I think, all four years of middle school. Then when I got to high school, you know, marching band consumes your life. You travel, you do all that. And I, I kind of fell out of it, but I, I never forgot the rush that I had of it, even though, like, you kind of get that with marching band and concert band to an extent. But once I play? Uh, clarinet. 
I played a tuba. Nice. See, I almost played tuba, but the director that wanted me to swap over ended up quitting like two weeks later and moving to another job, so it never came through. I got a mouthpiece out of it, but that's about as far as it went. But um, band is really good, though. It trains your ear. Yes, it does. Know, uh, to hear notes and things. And that's really good as an actor to have that ability as well. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, after after high school, I started the professional wrestling thing, and I'm still somehow doing that 15 years later. But when I tried to step away for, like, the, the second or third time, um, I was looking for that performance itch. Um, I was starting to get back into local performance. Like, we were doing things at church and different things like that. But I happened to see an ad for... Um, for Steve Bloom teaching how to get into voiceover, as we mentioned him earlier. And it just all kind of opened from there. I took classes after that with Chuck Huber, with yourself, with um, Elise Bowman, Morgan Berry, like the list goes on. And I was just getting this rush of emotions that I didn't even know I'd been missing. But man, you know, it's like you get to get in here, you get to have fun and just kind of leave the world at the door for a little bit and explore those emotions and have fun again. And you don't have to do it in revealing spandex. So, you know, it was a it was a fun experience to get back <laughs> so you into. You don't do it. wrestling anymore? Oh no, I still do. And I was actually um had my biggest gig this past Saturday and I didn't even have to wear the spandex, but I was on pay per view for WWE when they were in town. So Nice. What it, were you doing? Uh I was actually uh quote unquote security for a pull apart segment near the main event of the pay per view. So it's like getting drove out into the arena on a golf cart when the lights are down, forty eight thousand people there. And you get to run out to ringside. The camera's right on you, and you're just trying to break these two guys up. And it was an been a blast. It was an absolute trip. Like it wasn't like um, I I wasn't in one of those like watching myself like from overhead doing it. I was in the moment the whole time, and it was just so magical. Is the only way I could say it. But now, are you able to apply your acting classes to your wrestling? Oh, yeah. And it, it's funny, too, because it, at the beginning, uh, I was able to apply some of the stuff I learned from wrestling to the acting side. But now that I've gotten more... Uh, you All know, the arts feed each other. Yes. Yes, they do. And now, like, I don't have to do as much physically with wrestling because I can act. I can, you know, I can emote in different ways. I can sell with my facial features or being scared more than being physical because I get to be the bad guy and... It all just kind of feeds in, and it also saves my body a little bit too. So it's a it's a wonderful yeah. thing. I don't know any uh, voice actor who only does voice acting. Right. They're either a musician or an mm -hmm. artist or something, you know. Absolutely. Um, and like in your case, a musician and a wrestler. Yep. Uh, and I think it all just comes from the same source. You know, whatever it is that the creative force. Um, and that's another thing. Does the AI feel the creative force? Yes. You know? I don't and think it does. when it does, I'll be very proud of it. Exactly, know, yeah. Then it'll be a human being. Um, just a different type of human being. Right, right. But um, and that's if I could ever have a conversation with an AI computer, I would like to ask it that. Like, can, can you feel the creative force? Are you moved to do this? Or are you just trying to come up with combinations? Now, right? we, you may need a fire but, extinguisher when it finally explodes trying to answer that, but... <laughs> but but it, I, I like I said I don't know I, and if you only do acting like you're just getting into this I recommend that you take up playing guitar as well yeah because it's just going to enhance your acting and your acting's going to enhance your guitar playing very true I mean you see it, it on stage it, when these when these concerts happen it's it's all in the emotion that comes in it comes out there I grew up in a very um, great era for art because we were allowed to take just so many electives. I, yeah. I was in band, choir, theater. I was in the creative writing staff of this. Of, of, uh, we had a magazine that we put out in school. I was the staff uh, cartoonist for the newspaper. Um, so there was just so many ways to, to express yourself creatively. I did horribly in my regular classes, but I aced all my arts, you know? Right. And with years later, when my daughter started to go to school, she didn't she wasn't allowed to take that many electives, you know? And I, mm -hmm. I felt she was robbed. Yeah. Because that was such an amazing experience for me. A lot of people bemoan their high school years, but I'm like, oh, it was such a blast. Yeah. Because I got to do all these different things. And yeah, I can see why. I definitely see why your acting would improve your your wrestling for sure. But it is interesting that you put your your wrestling into your acting as well. 
um, because that gives you a unique perspective mm-hmm. that other actors don't have, and that just adds to the Flynn, Flynn flavor. Basically, that's it. You know? I dig Which, it. I don't know if that's your wrestling name. That's a good name. <laughs> Flynn uh, flavor! That might be the new finishing move. That might be the new finishing move. <laughs> I'm giving you full flavor. credit for that. <laughs> I'll drop that in Wisconsin here in a couple weeks. So <laughs> thank you, Sonny. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I um, dig it. Let's see. What, any other questions? Okay. So what made you start this uh, podcast? Um, the, the biggest thing was just, I'd been sitting on it for so long, sitting on these different ideas, but never actually pulling the trigger on it. And then mm-hmm. uh, about this time last year, I walked through the middle of, uh, of the podcast convention that was going on at, um, at Opryland hotel in Nashville here. And I just saw all these people that I listened to and some that I knew personally. And it's like, I, I want to be here doing this. I, I need to, you know, either crap or get off the pot and you know make a decision on what I want to do and the first thing that came to my mind that actually got me to do it like put the fuel to the fire was that I know all these people whether it's wrestlers or actors that have these stories that aren't really talked about or that may have been like on the wrestling side this close to getting to the top and getting that you know contract with WWE or whatever it may be but they never got it or maybe they train the people that are there now and that are, you know, going into the Hall of Fame, but they don't get the recognition they deserve. So what's yeah. their story like? <laughs> or my, yeah. my brother's a teacher, and then I have other friends you that are the teachers. old school wrestlers? Oh, like, yeah. Um, um, actually, next the week... Iron Sheik and those guys? Oh, and... I would kill to have the Iron Sheik on here, but um, I actually, if you're familiar with uh, with UFC, um, I have Dan the Beast Severn, as oh, we're cool. recording this, his episode will be dropping uh, next week. Um, he'll be starting off season three. But then I've also had somebody. I put... mean, I've heard of him because you know he's, his name is pretty big and has spoken a lot. But, oh yeah. Um, I, I I was a huge fan of wrestling 150 years ago when I was a kid. Right, right. Um, like you know the Von Erich brothers. You know, oh, yeah, about them, absolutely. And Von Erich with the claw, the claw, and... and Bruiser Brody, all those guys. And about 15 years ago, I, I met a guy who. Uh, created these uh, a wrestling card game mm-hmm. and he needed artists to to draw the wrestlers right yeah and i was doing all these modern wrestlers i didn't know but i was just doing portraits of them so he could put them on cards but he gave me one and it was old school i think it was the iron sheik wow. and and he goes oh man you really did that with us well that's you know from my generation he goes, yeah well i'm putting out a classic line so I'll just throw all of the ones that are the, from the old school to you. And I went, oh, that's awesome. Amazing. So I was in heaven drawing all these old school wrestlers and stuff. But, I dig uh, it. That's cool. And I'm, I'm I'm glad that you're into I'm glad you got this uh, podcast going. Thank you. That you could actually, you know, express all of your interest in one, one location. Absolutely. And I'm actually, it, it's in the works. We're trying to make it work. But I know like one name that you would definitely be familiar with is um, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. That's, that's currently in the works too. So I'm keeping fingers crossed and trying to manifest out there that it's going to happen. So that's cool. Thank you. All right. Well, I've run out of questions, oh, man. That's <laughs> it. I mean, I, I had fun with those right there. It ran the gambit. And as always, I come out smiling on the other side of it. So I had a blast with that. So thank you for playing along. Uh, that was fun. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I don't know it. if I'm ready to do a podcast, but it was fun asking <laughs> questions. Hey, I, I enjoy being on the spot right there too, because again, I have to find that answer and commit to it. So there there it was but man it was a blast doing that it was a blast catching up with you and getting to chat too so thank you for the time here today you too flannan i'm glad you're doing so well and i more Thanks, success sir. to you absolutely and hopefully hopefully you'll come down near nashville at some point soon because i feel like i at least owe you a drink or something so we got to make that There's happen a lot of conventions out there surely i'll get that sometime i'll i'm trying because i mean i'm getting on some of them you know like as far as like doing podcasts and everything so we got to have a little sunny straight on there too let's make it happen maybe do a live show who knows Oh, that'd be fun, brother. That would be fun. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time here tonight, and I appreciate our listeners tuning in as always. And, guys, again, like I said earlier, you've heard the successes that come from sitting under Sonny's learning tree. You hear how invested he is in teaching. Go check out his classes. You're already sent, you're already connected with me on social media. Check those links. If not, well, check— I mean, beyond the plug, let me just say yeah. this. You don't have to take my class, but get out there and learn. There's so Absolutely. many actors out there that are teaching— if I was a young voice actor in this day and age, I'd be taking everybody's classes. Yeah. Get, not only that, because you're making connections with people in the industry. That's it. Uh, you don't have to take my class. There's tons of classes out there, but you should 
increase your education. I'm always taking sure. classes on my own as well. And you, you should never, ever be satisfied. You should For always sure. continue to grow. Absolutely. And that's that's the key right there that keeps you driven, keeps you motivated, and keeps you having fun the entire time. And a day that you don't learn something is probably not a good day. So, like you said, the world is out there with teachers ready to teach, knowledge ready to be learned. So, guys, the Internet is at our fingertips. Take advantage of it. And you've heard me list other coaches on here. Check them out, too. Like, the world is there to help you become a better you and a better actor. So, by all means, take advantage of it. But man, like this has been a blast of an episode. I'm glad we finally got to do it. I'm glad that all you guys continue to tune in and you got to hear it here today. And more than anything, Sonny, thank you so much for your time and willingness to be here today. Thank you for having me, Flynn. Of course, man. Well, guys, you know that we'll be back next week with another awesome episode. Same time, same place. Make sure you're here. Make sure you don't miss it. Subscribe. Leave that five-star review. Share it with your friends. Get the merch. Get on social media and get connected and be back here next time for another awesome episode. And I know you hear me. The I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.